0: What are you gonna tell us, tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. Well, with one hundred percent certainty, I should have gone to the toilet before I press record. But all the equipment's set up now, and uh, I'm underway. So we're gonna get this one. We're gonna get this one done together. I've, I've also just got a glimpse of my hair, which is concerning. I, I usually do it for you, but. Um, today I've just decided to go a little bit more natural there's there's a little bit of boof going on there from if I'm, if I'm honest I didn't quite realize how much I was bringing to the table that's got no hairspray or anything in it that's just that's completely natural so something that something needs to be done there I've never seen I've never really seen a fashion statement made by someone who's who's got a haircut like that but the truth is there's not there's not a whole heap of traffic coming through the uh, the YouTube channel anyway so I don't <laughs> I probably shouldn't even point it out. And just let you enjoy the audio for what it is, because uh, because it seems that that's where you're getting your information from me from. So, anyway, how are you going? I hope you've had a I hope you had a good week. It's been it's been good down here in Melbourne. I uh I haven't got a lot to report on on the, from the Popplestone household, to be honest. Like there's not a whole heap going on here. Uh, Melbourne's Melbourne's back up and about in a in a big way in many respects. Um the I the biggest thing on my mind this week I, I feel from the last forty eight hours here. For any for any Australians, you know what I'm talking about. For anyone overseas, AFL is is just our biggest sport. It's a it's a massive field, a funny-shaped ball, and you've got thirty-six blokes um running around trying to get it <laughs> kick it through the appropriate sticks to uh get their team in the let Google it. You'll see plenty of stuff. Yeah if you if you put it in YouTube you're gonna see footage of, of what football used to look like before they turned into little <laughs> little bitches. The football world's gone Really interesting. So like the idea of, of of Australian rules football is I felt like it used to really summarise what an Australian was, like tough, hard at it, just uh, get your hands dirty, you know, do what you can to get the job done. And uh, it's, it's perhaps no surprise that as Australians have started to get softer and softer in the last 15 years, the sport of AFL has got softer and softer, not just on the field as well. It's, just, it's turned into one of those big corporate events where uh, pretty much as unless they're, their main goal is to pre is to please the people who are paying for the game to to go ahead. Is the vibe that I get because they're just they're so PC. They're just they're they're part of the woke brigade now, and um, I, it's disappointing to see a little bit. I'm hoping I I don't really know what happens like in a sport that becomes fully professional because obviously it was an amateur sport for so many years, and you would see like just type into YouTube AFL nineteen seventies. I'm pretty sure the nineteen seventies were when the players they, they still had part time jobs, they were still doing something on the side. And <laughs> the the footy field was where they just went to get their frustration out from like a difficult week at work. So they would have a tough week at work, working behind the bank, you know, getting their little paychecks or whatever. And I don't think the AFL had a whole heap of money to throw around at the time. So they used to get out there and just beat the shit out of each other just for the most minor offenses. And, uh, man, it was it was fun to watch. It was incredible. There's a reason I stopped playing football when I, when I realized a lot of the other guys were getting big and strong. And I was a distance runner at heart, still quite skinny, hadn't quite had a growth spurt yet. And um, I decided, you know what? All right, if it's going to go old school, I'm going to get out of here and just focus on running away from these people. Perhaps that was why I was so good at running. But... It's uh it's really noticeable, I think. There's the the rules have changed they're constantly updated in a way that, you know, protect and again you've got to try and protect the players in a way. Like you don't want long-term injuries, obviously, but you also don't want a bunch of fairies running around on a field to um to to be your entertainment. But I don't know, but it's weird as you get older as well, like I notice people start reflecting on the good old days and how things used to be, and maybe that's just what I'm doing. Maybe the 14-year-old kids out there today are, are perfectly happy with with the state of football. Truth is, if I was a 14-year-old kid out there today, I would probably be more happy with the state of football today because the chances of me getting hurt in it would be a lot lower. But I don't know, is that what you want? There's a lot of coddling going on in our our country. All around the world, actually, there's so many so many little bitch kids who <laughs> they can't get in trouble or they can't graze their knee without their mum sprinting out to them to put a aid on them, give them a cuddle and tell them everything will be okay. I mean, that was my mum and I really appreciated it. But I think it took me till about the age of 26 to realise, no, Toss, I think you're a bit of a pussy in a lot of regards. It's time to fix this. But anyway... The um, I'm not going to talk about COVID too long today because it's been a, a hot topic in a number of these podcasts. It's the biggest issue that's going on in fairness. Like all around the world the last 18 months, obviously it's the biggest issue. So it seems to take up a fair chunk of my mind. And as this podcast is really just an expression of my mind, it's probably no surprise that 70% of the previous episodes have been coronavirus stuff because that's a pretty accurate uh, representation of the pie chart of thoughts that are contained <laughs> within my head. It's like 70% percent covid uh, 23%, you know, go get your work done. What does that leave me? That's 7% left for family, hobbies, food, and <laughs> everything else. I need to spend more time with my family is what I've just realized. And they need to, uh, take up a little more of my headspace. So as we say, we don't need to worry though. Cause Jesse, Jesse doesn't hear that. She's not a, she's not a fan of this podcast. Um, she's not a fan of a lot of my rants and she gets them, more than more than she would like, and more than I'm probably happy to admit. So I, each week I say, hey, babe, what did you think of the podcast? She goes, mate, that is, that is the last thing that I would ever want to listen to. I go, why? She goes, because my life is a podcast. Like, my life is, I am seriously a, a one-person audience to so many of your bullshit thoughts, um, and many of them I disagree with, and I just can't be, why wouldn't I just have the conversation with you? Because then at least I can argue back then at least it's not just you rambling in my ear about what you think, uh, what your thoughts on a particular topic at a particular time are <laughs> until next week when you change it. Let me call bullshit to it. Your audience members just have to sit there in their car and shake their heads in disgust. You know, they've been messaging me trying to tell me how much of a muppet you are. No, that's not true. But hey, if you have, you should stop because that's that's hurtful, really. there's No need for that. I come at you like we're friends and... Uh, and then you go behind my back messaging my wife. You shouldn't be messaging my wife anyway. To be truthful, she's a married woman. You know, especially if you're handsome or a lesbian. Like two groups of people, I'm not overly happy making moves on my wife. <laughs> Pretty much anyone who could, anyone who could steal her from me. Um, there's an element of, there's an element of, um, what do you call it? Not distrust. I guess that's distrust. Not against Jessie, against you. I'm worried about you. I trust her. I just don't know who you are, you little freak. <laughs> What a ridiculous thing to say at the start of a podcast. Anyway, the reason I was going into the rant about um, the AFL was because we've officially lost our first member of the AFL. Uh, He's still alive. Officially lost our first member of the AFL because he's refused to get the the vaccine, Um, which we always knew was going to happen, but it took a man with balls the size of watermelons to say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about the pay. I'm not going to worry about the uh, reputation. I'm not going to worry about people's opinions of me. This is what I believe. This is what I've looked into. This is where I stand. And as a result, this is the action I've got to take. And he's decided to step down. And it's amazing. I was flicking through. I should never do this. But for whatever reason, I I did it to myself. I was flicking through Twitter. Ridiculous decision uh, 15 minutes ago. And, And just having a bit of a look through some of the comments and some of the commentary that were taking place around his decision. And man, I don't know why I do it because... It's just a sign of the time. I feel people are so obsessed with money. I mean, I fall into that category from time to time. I like to, I think I'm starting to get past it. Not because I'm loaded, but just because I realise it's it's unfulfilling. The moments I've got heaps of money coming in, and the moments I've got uh not much money coming in, doesn't seem to correlate with any greater level of happiness for any meaningful amount of time. So I um I don't know, I call I call a little bit bullshit to that. So It's interesting, though, looking at the commentary of of Liam Jones' decision, because I would say that 80% of the comments that I saw had to do with the financial loss that this guy's going to take. And I thought, mate, isn't that that crazy? Like, we're, we're sitting here on the sidelines, and the biggest criticism of a bloke who's decided not to put something in his body based on the fact that it's in an experimental phase based on the fact that research long term still isn't known, based on the fact that this guy's done his own research and he's, he's come to a conclusion about what he believes, doesn't mean he's gonna be adamant, doesn't believe he can't look back in 10 years and say he's wrong, but based on what he knows now, he's gone, hey, this is where I stand, this is the decision I'm making, awesome. And it's so hard to do that at the moment because, you know, like, the, it's a guarantee that there's so many Muppets out there who just want to go along with the mainstream narrative of, hey, this is what Channel 7 says. So, hey, Channel 7 says vaccine is the only way to look after your health. And then this guy comes out and goes, uh, I'm not convinced by that. And also the numbers around coronavirus, the amount of cases, the amount of deaths, especially in people. He's a, he's a fit, healthy 30-year-old guy. He's an elite sportsman. Like, he's a top AFL player in the country. And that's a, I mean, that's, that, uh, is that subjective? I'm not sure. I'm a Carlton fan, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. But it's interesting that one of the healthiest guys on the field... Yet yeah, Look at the bloke. Just have a look at the guy who's decided not to take the vaccine for his own personal reasons. We can assume a little bit of that is health concerns. And have a look at how many people with man boobs on Twitter are currently criticising this guy's health decisions. <laughs> it's preposterous in its entirety. That's what my uncle Phil used to say. Preposterous in its entirety, and it is. And like, when did the men with man boobs, double chins, and poor acne, based on dietary choices, start becoming the the, the trusted voices on the subject of health? Shut up! I've seen how many donuts you've eaten in the last thirty years. You fat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with fat people. If you're fat, I don't care. Be fat. Just don't give me health advice. I don't want to hear it. And neither does he. And anyway, so we've got all these Muppets piping up about uh, once they swallow their donut about what Liam Jones is doing for his health and his uh, you know his career. He's sacrificing a million dollars apparently over a two-year remaining contract that he has. He obviously believes in it. Or the flip side of that is there's more to his life than just a paycheck. Which is something I think we should all all maybe take a little bit of advice from, shouldn't we? Man, I'm coming out swinging today. This is aggressive. I need to calm down. Sometimes I listen back to this. I go, oh, toss. This is a bit a bit forceful. You came out. came out with a. Uh, you came out with pace. <laughs> it reminds me yesterday. I went to a um. I went to my my best mate and I went to. We took our little boys to a museum of art and play. Museum of play and art. MOPA here in Geelong. And it was a cool little place, but my best mate—he was at a box a bucks of, of one of his friends the night before. Apparently, apparently things got heated in in uh, in the alcohol department. Yeah, he, uh, he drank quite a quite a lot of alcohol. I could, as soon as I saw him, I thought, oh, all right, this is probably an interest. I could smell I could smell whiskey from his skin, so I thought, okay, that's a that's a giveaway. And uh, anyway, so they were there. Yeah, the poor bastard, he was just sitting there trying to kill some time, and a great guy, joker, and and I, I just I was fresh. I was excited to see him. I was excited to go to Mopa. I was excited to watch my little man play. And he copped it. I came at him with pace as well. And uh, I sort of saw his eyes just trying to digest (laughs) everything that was coming at him. I caught myself. I said, hey, Tyce, this is what happens on the podcast sometimes. This This is part of my life that needs work. All right. This is something that marriage is good for as well, because I've got a sounding board there, just Jessie. She's quite, she's, uh, she's fairly low-key. Like, she's fairly low-key. She's pretty conservative in, well, I was going to say not politically, but I guess politically, but also pretty conservative the way she throws out her energy. First thought I ever had when I met her was, oh, she's intimidating. <laughs> and I still agree. She is. You don't want to be on her wrong side. It's terrifying. Bloody Eastern European. The blood runs hot through the veins. I've got fast reflexes, but there's a couple of times she's got me on the on the side of the head with a karate chop. I deserved it, but like the fact that she got me on the side of the head with a karate chop, it makes me a victim of, of domestic violence in some people's eyes. I'm not here to complain, though. I'm just here to express where I'm at. Maybe just subtly ask for help. But uh, it's funny. I've been married 10 years this Friday. 10 years this Friday I've, I've been married. It's, it's what is it today? It's Monday, Um Crazy how quickly that's gone. I'm thinking, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm putting together a little joke at the moment. I might trial this one tonight. Because maybe it needs a little bit more work. Because my, my welcome back to comedy after three months of no performances has been an interesting little exploration. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I, um, when we got married, the, the pastor who married us, he said, Hey, you know what? Like the most important thing in your marriage is honesty. It's really important to be honest. All right? Oh, that makes sense. Like you hear that and you go, Of course. Like I've, got, I've got no qualms with that. I've got no problems with that advice. But then on our honeymoon, true story, we'd been in Bali for about four days. Jessie put on her uh, bathers and uh, she went to go out to the pool. And as soon as she put on her bathers, uh, she came out of the bathroom and she's like, oh my gosh, babe, don't look. My ass looks so fat in this, don't you think? And I just remember Pastor Rob's famous advice, hey, honesty is the best policy. I said, well, you know what, baby, in fairness, you've done no exercise since we've been here. Yeah, sure, that doesn't look great, but you can improve it. (laughs) Wrong answer. Isn't that ridiculous? As a 24-year-old guy, I had the audacity to believe that honesty is the best policy actually applied to a marriage, especially a new marriage. Now that I've been married 10 years, you understand that honesty is a terrible policy, so now, my, if she says to me, babe, my ass looks fat in this, i just go, nope, it that looks fantastic. You look, woo. That's a, that's a, meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, that's graphic. <laughs> no, that's not even true. But it's a funny, I think it's a funny concept. My wife's a babe. I was going to say, look at her on Instagram, but that's weird advice to a group of people I've just told not to send subtle messages. But... Um, what do you reckon? Did you do you think that's that's got potential, doesn't it? Like that's the little premise I'm going to work with. And I tell you, my joke premises they do need some attention at the moment because, uh, well, it's it's the second week back, so it's the second week back at comedy, and I've been going to a few rooms. I did three gigs last week, um, so my goal is three to five weeks. And after you get into a little bit of a flow of doing three to five gigs a week for a few weeks, things start to click. Like anything, really. Um, so with, with running, like if you run around for a few weeks, all of a sudden, three times a week for a few weeks, your fitness improves, you start to maybe lose a little bit of weight, your calves start to pop, you start to find some rhythm on those good days out there. Same with the gym. Like if you haven't been in the gym for a while and you start trying to bench press 70 kilos, hey, I'm not, I'm not here to make any uh, big points about how much I'm lifting. 70 kilos, I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's, uh, it's not overly significant. <laughs> I've got some work to do on the, uh, on the bench press department, but comedy's no different. Comedy's no different. You can get out there and uh, there's so many different variables that you've got to get comfortable with. And one of the variables that I've been struggling with getting back into it is is forgetting that it doesn't have to be constant laughter. Like part of stand-up comedy is actually setting up a joke beautifully so that when you get to the punchline, the people are on board with you there. So what happens if you're up on stage and you're halfway through a story and you haven't clarified? All right, where's the punchline supposed to be? Where's the laughs that I'm expected? Which direction am I supposed to take this? Well, you get halfway through a story and no one's laughing. In fact, they're looking at you like this, just does deadpan, waiting for something. It's easy to think, oh my gosh, I'm bombing. Like this is a, this is a horrific experience, <laughs> and I've had some, some horrific experiences, but um. Yeah, the last couple of weeks I, I've forgotten where I was in my story and so what have I done? Last week I did last week I did three gigs. Oh, that's what I wanted to tell you. There's a there's a comedy room called Funny Bunny in St Kilda here in Melbourne. I love the room. Awesome. Run by Senor James is a good looking man. And uh, it's, it's always it's always a good show, even if it's just because Senor James, you know. I don't even really drink alcohol, but they hand out those wet pussy shots and people start to get excited. And there's just a, there's a, alcohol's funny, like that social lubricant. I think if you're a shy person, or even if you're a confident person, a couple of drinks in your system, it helps you, um, it helps lower your lower your guard a little bit, get a little bit more comfortable, not so uptight about, you know, what you're speaking to people about or what they're going to respond like. Or um, So I went down there. And there was so there's an upstairs area personally they used to do they used to do the comedy up there. I thought the comedy up there was better because it's a little bit so I I like a cozy comedy room. I like people shoulder to shoulder, a little bit intimate, people having a laugh and it's more conversational which I think suits my style of comedy a little bit. But Recently they've made the move downstairs and uh, downstairs. It's a little bit more spread out. It's a bit more echoey uh, Some people are there for comedy. Some people are there just for the bar Some people are there just having conversation with their friends So it's always interesting getting up on stage there because you're not a hundred percent sure All right, like what's the vibe in this place? Are, are these people ready for comedy? Because sometimes you can bomb like sometimes your material might just be rubbish for whatever reason your jokes suck your delivery sucked your timing sucked um, And you just did it all anxiously and nervously. And that just, like all of those components wrapped together, just uh, so clearly uh, expressed to the audience that are there that it's just it's horrific to watch. I I can't stay in a room when I'm watching someone bomb because it makes me too uncomfortable because I've been there too many times. Um, But for whatever reason, I got up on stage the other day. Maybe a few of those factors, jokes needed some work. There was a little bit of uncertainty in my mind about what the audience was there for because there was some there was some uh, some drinking and there was some eating and just some subtle conversation. I always think as well, like the initial minute that you're on stage, once you get up on stage, if you've been up there for a minute, ideally, like apart from the first 20 seconds or so, if you can get up on stage and Immediately make a reference or say something that gets the crowd on site. It almost builds an element of trust in them about you. So you can get up, make a joke, everyone relaxes a little bit, you feel their little sphincters loosen. Not, you don't feel it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd get arrested if you started feeling all that. But um, uh, metaphorically speaking, you can just, you can feel the audience's sphincter just, just release, just slightly. Do you know? And it's nice for you on stage, they relax, you relax, but the opposite's also true. Like if you get up on stage uh, and you try, and this happens, this happened the other day, you try and make a joke about something in the room, and for whatever reason, it's just it's not a joke. And no one finds it funny. You realise it wasn't funny. It's a swing and a miss. It's strike one. All of a sudden, the opposite is true. You hear the little sphincters go. Whoop! <laughs> We're just tightening again. They just go, you know, smaller than a little nickel, and uh, that puts some pressure on you. But the worst part was, so the other night I got up on stage at Funny Bunny and I saw these two massive units. I'm, I'm 90% sure they were coke dealers. They were definitely on steroids. They were four times as big as me. Uh, one of the guy had the the side of his head super shaved. It was almost a zero, and just massive head tattoos. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get on stage and not acknowledge that this guy's made some uh, interesting life choices with his head tattoos. And I thought, you know, but you've got to go out carefully. When the guy's got head tattoos, he's six foot five, four times as big as you, three times as wide. you You've got to be careful with how you address that situation, don't you? Because the truth is, like, there's plenty of comedians who've got scars from times where you know, they've bombed on stage, they've left the premises, and they've been followed by the people they were trying to joke with who accidentally turned into the people that they abused and embarrassed on stage. Um, and that kind of happened. They were pretty good sports, but I got up there and, and I can't even remember what I said. There was something about me being nervous about bombing in front of them because they were just intimidated. It wasn't funny. And all of a sudden, yeah, sphincters all across the room tightened up a little bit. Mine especially. Mine was, yeah, mine was airtight. There was nothing going in or out, which is pretty much stand Like, out, out, obviously. You, you, you have stuff coming out. But as a straight man, there's, there's not a hell heap of stuff going in. Um, unless I was real sick. I remember when I was, when I was like five, I had constipation once and mum had to put something in there. But I reckon that was the last time. You know, maybe not the last time. There's been a couple of there's been a couple of adventurous nights here and there uh, where where fingers have wandered, and I've gone, wait, what is that? Is that what you're supposed to? I didn't know this was a thing. That's far out. But um, I mean, it's it's an anomaly. It's not the usual part. Like, it's not a day. I go for a run daily, but but anything going in there daily is it? It's just not a priority. But if, if if it is a priority for you, hey, you you do you. You do you. So I'm heading back down to Melbourne tonight, and I've, uh, I've I've got another gig which I'm looking forward to. So I'm going to do the same material as last week, I think, and just try and refine it a little bit. So the the what have I got tonight? I, you only get five minutes. It's open mic comedy, you know. So you go there to refine your jokes. That you, you go there to try and clean it up a little bit. And uh, so I've got a joke about Shakara Richardson, who is the hundred meter record, uh, hundred meter US champion who was one of the favourites for the Olympics in Tokyo, but she got done for having marijuana in her system, which the perform, uh, the, the US Anti-Doping Agency said was a performance-enhancing drug. Um, and so my joke there is, like, marijuana, performance-enhancing drug, I say, like, hey, I tried marijuana once. It took me nine minutes to walk from my lounge room to my kitchen, <laughs> which I think is enjoyable, mainly because it's true. Mainly because it's true. I had a really ex- interesting experience. I don't think I've told you this before, but I... Um, yeah, for my 30th birthday, my wife, uh, uh, she contacted my musician friend, who else? And, and, and yeah, it got me two joints and just wrapped it in a birthday card. And I, I think I went too hard because I was seeing... I actually reckon on a f- reflection it was laced maybe with, from what I understand, maybe a little bit of acid because... I was hallucinating a lot more than than what I think is normal, just to be smoking marijuana. I remember seeing all these like colourful particles coming together and me thinking, well, I've actually got like an appreciation for science right now. This is fascinating. And then I tried to have a conversation with my neighbour because we had a shared backyard. um, And she asked me a question and I realised, I don't know how long after she asked me the question, I realised that I hadn't answered. And I was with my friend who was a bit more experienced than me. And he said that uh, my reaction time was so poor and my answer was even more embarrassing because she said, um, like, so what are you guys up to? And I paused and hesitated and said, anyway, we'll see you later in the week. (laughs) just gave her an answer to a question that she hadn't even asked. So, um, yeah, performance-enhancing drug, I think, is questionable. What else have I got? What else have I got? Uh, shikari richardson was one you need more context i'm not going to go through my material with you here because you need to be on stage you need to i can't commit properly just like when i used to be a middle distance runner i couldn't time trials weren't my favorite thing because i needed people around me i needed to get a bit of a feel for where i was at and what was going on and uh, it was just easy to run faster when there was a group of people around you. And I find the same with comedy. People always say, "Hey, can you tell me your jokes?" I go, uh, "No, no, it's you need to be there because I get impatient with the lead up when I'm just doing it to you guys here. I get impatient with the punch lines. Uh, I try and race through it too much, and it never does a good joke and a good job. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it there, and um, we'll see how that goes tonight. See how that goes tonight. It's good to be back around people. It was weird. On the weekend, I took my my little boy and, and my wife down to Melbourne because we've got the protest. We had the protest down there, which was against vaccine mandates and also against political stuff I'm not going to bore you with. Essentially, there's a new legislation that's trying to be passed through the upper house of parliament here in Victoria this week, which would mean that Dan Andrews, our premier, or, you know, governor, essentially, our premier of Victoria, wants a little more power to make a few more choices a lot of people firing up about it. I'm not overly happy about it. I don't reckon he's done a great job with with the powers that he's had. I think he's a flog in a way. Um, so I was there. <laughs> I was there. And uh, it was it was a really interesting experience because um, I wasn't sure what to expect. Because even though I'd spoken about it and I'd seen a whole heap of footage of, of the protests and stuff over the last few weeks you're still in the back of your mind think, like, what, what are the people? Like, who are these people who are out there? Are these people who are out there, um, are they really as weird as what the news is trying to portray them as? I, I had an inkling, based on my understanding of the news, that they weren't going to be quite that strange. Uh, but uh, they weren't. Like, they weren't that strange. But, man, there's a couple out there. There's a couple out there where I was like, I reckon if you are a Channel 7 news crew, you would have had a field day. So there was one chick, she came out... And I reckon this is a giveaway that someone's gone through some emotional turmoil or they've had a real up, up, rough, bringing, up, rough upbringing was they got that super thick, that super thick eyeshadow on and it's always purple. Black eyeshadow, if it's thick, I think it's quite attractive. I kind of like it. I think it's nice. Like, go for it. K Miller-Heidke style. Ooh. It's a, yeah, It's interesting. But once it starts getting purple, I feel like that starts to dance in the territory of, all right, there's a few emotional troubles. There's a few uh, unsolved, unconscious problems flowing through this lady's life. And um, I saw her. I saw her first and had that. And she she was wearing a strange hat. I don't know what they What are those ones that, like, if you live in Siberia or you're just like a traditional Russian, it's like, it's like a fox skin, it looks like. It sort of looks cool. But she was in this outfit, and, and which made her look interesting. And then she had this eye shadow, which said, oh, okay, um, like this chick's got some stuff going on. Like there's a little bit of stuff going on in this chick's life. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I don't know where she started yelling, just in the middle of the protest, war crimes, war crimes. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, oh, no. Because my mum was thinking about coming. She was going to come down just to check it out. She just wanted the social, she just wanted to come and hang out. My mum, this is how good my mum is. She's not interested in politics at all, which is, I'm not really either just like I'm not interested in UFC, but Conor McGregor makes me interested. I'm not interested in politics until some real dodgy legislation starts getting presented. I go, hey, hey, th- th- stop it. This is silly. This is too much. Like, let me go out of my house. And they're like, no, you're asking too much. I'm like, really? I just want to go to my letterbox. Um, yeah, so I was thinking, thank God my mum's not here because she would have seen that. And then, like, she's 63 years old, 64 actually. Gee, Susie. Um, 64 years old, Getting that, six years from 70 sounds... That's sort of... That's getting close to 70, really. Six years ago, 2015. Yeah, man, that's crazy. But um, I was thinking, yeah, thank God she didn't come today because that just would have cemented what she already thought these protests were like. And uh, uh, mostly, I can genuinely say, super peaceful. Everyone was friendly. I guess that's what it's like, though. If you go to a place where, um, like, everyone's on the same page or at least a little bit of the same page... Um, I don't know there's like an appreciation going on it was like what happened yesterday I was in the supermarket and uh, obviously I don't wear a mask inside the supermarket anymore and uh, or anywhere um, and I saw a bloke who a good looking unit he looked fit looked healthy and he's sort of walking down I was at the checkout and this guy was walking towards me and he gave me like a massive smile I thought hey he sort of he threw me off guard because I wasn't expecting it um, it, I feel like it's usually me throwing out smiles so casually. So this guy, I thought he knew me for a minute. So I gave him the smile, and then I realised I'm like, no, no. He's given me some mutual respect because obviously there's like a couple of things that we have in common in regards to this mask. Like, there's it, you feel like you've just formed like a little bit of a foundation with each other before. Before we didn't even speak. He literally judged a book by its cover. Maybe I left my mask inside you, judgmental bastard. <laughs> but he um. It's that on, it's that on steroids at the protest, and it's funny because I had my little man there, 18 months old, and he was, he was just on my shoulders, and uh, there were so many, there were so many funny comments. Like a, a couple of people walked past him, and like part of the protest, I assume they were being friendly. They said it with a smile on their face and a little bit of laughter. They said, "Look at this little far right neo Nazi," <laughs> which is obviously how protesters have been portrayed for so long. And then um, what made it more impressive to me, though, was there was... was, Like, I almost didn't go, because it looked like it was about to bucket down with rain. And then you see the footage of it. You see the drone footage of this protest. And there are, I reckon, maybe 100,000 people there. I'm going to say definitely... It's hard to judge, though. It's hard to know how many people... Like, you see Burke Street here in Melbourne... And it was absolutely chock a block with people. You could not see a square inch of concrete anywhere on Burke Street, which is like the main street here in the CBD. And it made me so proud because, like, America, Australia is the laughing stock in America and uh, all around the world amongst a lot of people. Amongst, I feel like amongst the people who have a lot of common sense, Australia seems to be the laughing stock. Like, it is the laughing stock. It's an embarrassment. We've promoted ourselves for the last. S- say, say 50 years as the real out there, we're so tough, got no worries, we'll stand up for our country without any dramas, and then the government says three times, hey, go inside please, and for a year and a half we go, okay, (laughs) and it's just, it's starting to get to a point now where the tide is really turning, people are fed up, and as a result, even the mainstream media has been really interesting with it, so, um, so channel 7, channel 9, channel 10, they're the, they're like the mainstream channels here in Australia, especially here in yeah, no, Australia we'll say. And you see the footage, you see what the stories that these guys put together about what's happening at these protests, and it's no surprise that people are disgusted by them because they're just so disingenuous. Like that uh, they they paint a picture of the minority of the group. So they get this war crimes chick who was there but definitely didn't represent the sort of the vibe that was going on around everyone at this protest. But they film her and they say hey, anti anti lockdown protesters or anti vaccine protesters were uh, you know shouting war crimes and all of a sudden you see that and If you don't know about the internet and about the fact that there's another side to these stories, you look at that and you're like, oh, gee, don't want anything to do with those guys. I felt like that temporarily on the weekend. I was like, oh, no, why did I come? And I was like, no, Ties, look... Everyone else is standing here peacefully, beautifully. Look, that lady's there having a little bit of bread with her son. Oh, this man's just having a conversation with his granddaughter. And it's it's only the one lady screaming war crimes. And and she was getting some looks from everyone else who, and the looks she was getting made me realize okay, well, there's a lot of people with the same feelings about this chick as what I have because, uh, you know, you can just see someone's face and you're like, they're not happy with this either. They're not it gives it away when their head is like just hidden in their hand and they're trying to pretend it's not happening. They've got their hand in their ears going, la, 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 la. <laughs> That's a giveaway. Um, so I, I was I was just interested to see how this particular protest was, was reported on by mainstream media. Because obviously this was the first protest that I'd been to. And I knew what it was like. I got a vibe for the day. It was it was overwhelmingly positive. In fact, the only lady I saw who was an embarrassment was War Crimes Lady. But there was there was other there was subconscious. I reckon Carl Jung would have a couple of interesting takes on this cheek. There was some subconscious uh, conflict taking place. Is is my interpretation? And uh, anyway, really interesting. So they've obviously copped a little bit of criticism about the fact that they're not reporting these uh, the these. Protests accurately and there's a lot of independent media There's a lot of like uh, the real Rockshan is a Facebook page who does all these live streams And he just goes around with a camera and it's unedited and people get a really good vibe of what's going on They can see that mainstream media is just lying straight through their teeth and mainstream media despicable as they are Channel 10 horrendous They're just a disgraceful organization um, Channel 10 news the other day was speaking about these protests and saying, oh, unfortunately, yeah, uh, many protesters are very aggressive towards us, which, unfortunately, is probably true. Like, as much as I disagree with what Channel 10's doing and the way that they're reporting on it, the idea of being aggressive to the cameraman who's just trying to get money on the table for his kids is, is not ideal. It's definitely not the way that I would, uh, you know, approach that situation. I'm not a fan of that, but you can see some people who are slightly more frustrated or lost more than me and then see the way that they've been reported uh, by by this mainstream media. Of course there's going to be aggression and frustration. And it starts with not the protesters. It starts with Channel 10 just doing such a, such a blatantly dishonest job with the way that they're expressing what's actually taking place to the rest of the nation. Anyway, they were trying to justify it the other day, saying, yeah, you know, people have been upset with the way that we've been reporting it, but unfortunately, it's just too dangerous for us to be there for any extended amount of time because, you know, these protesters are very fired up at us and for whatever reason, we just can't understand it. And then the other reporter's like, yeah, I know, so much for free press. It's just disgraceful. It's, uh, yeah, it'd be good to be able to get back there and report. I'm sitting there going, mate, what an absolute disgrace that is. So thank God for people like Real Rakshaan uh, thank God for for people who are you know just giving a bit more of an accurate representation. It's um it's nice. It's just frustrating because there's some media outlets like that where you just you just know where they stand. You know their you know their goals. You know what they're trying to do. It's sort of like, it's like the project. <laughs> Classic example, how's this? So, and I've got no problem. As I've said to you a hundred times before, if anyone wants to get vaccinated, go for it. My best mate's vaccinated, my family's vaccinated. That's as far as it goes for me. I could not care less, but don't preach to me about it. I never liked vegans preaching to me. I never liked it when Christians preached to me. I never liked it when anyone just started getting on the bandwagon of preaching to me. And uh, these, uh, uh, regardless, whether you're vaccine pro or anti-vax, shut up. Like, let's have a conversation a little bit. Please just talk to me. I'll listen. I will genuinely listen to you. And I'll talk back. You don't have to yell. Alright? Stop. Put your finger out of my face. Alright. Makes me want to fight. Which is why I'm thinking about starting uh jujitsu. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the, so Peter Hallier, he's a he's actually a, a really good comedian. He seems like a lovely guy. Like, I've got nothing negative to say about Pete Hallier as a bloke. I genuinely like the guy. I've seen his comedy and I can genuinely say. I'm a fan of his comedy. I'm a fan of the guy. If I ever met him I, I, and he would accept it, I'd give him a cuddle. But the problem is, and it's it's hard as well, because this guy, his main job is working on mainstream media for Channel 10 at a, at a program called The Project here in Australia. So The Project is, from what I've heard, its, it's ratings are gradually dying. Uh, they're struggling... To, to, you know, maintain an audience. And you can see why, because their stories are so dishonest and so one-sided. But, you know, they're, they're funded by, or I, I can't remember exactly who they're funded by, but essentially you see who owns the biggest part of Channel 10 and it makes sense. You go, oh, okay, okay, no, I see I see why there's a particular bias on some of their stories. But the other day, he posted on Instagram, Pete Hallier. Uh, don't give him crap if you hear this. He's a lovely guy, seriously. Um, but he posted on his page the other day, Uh, I got sick of all my friends saying that, uh, they knew no one with COVID. So I went out and got it. Not, not on purpose, of course. Um, thank God I've been protected by, um, all this vaccine goodness, which is in my body. I think I've got a crush on science. And I'm like, okay, like, that's fine. That's fine. I, I get where you're coming from. I know your stance. I know that you guys have to promulgate. Is that the word promulgate? Propagate? No, promulgate. I'll Google it after, um, uh, you got to you got to plug this idea of how important the vaccines are. I know Victorian government uses you guys as a puppet to. Actually, I think they're based in Sydney, but I mean the, the government—they seem to be a mouthpiece for whatever the Australian government's trying to uh, get them to do. No, they are in Melbourne. I'm talking smack. So. He's gone out and he's made this big call about how fantastic the vaccine was. And maybe it was the vaccine that protected him. Because he said his symptoms were very mild. He said uh, he didn't struggle at all. He said he was completely okay. Thank God for the vaccine. And everyone underneath the comments were like, Oh my gosh, thank God you and your family are okay. And I agree. Thank God. I would want nothing to happen to him or his family. Of course not. They're beautiful. He's a beautiful man. But the idea that it's simply the vaccine, which was the protection against this, is the issue that I have. It's maybe it was, maybe in his particular case it was, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law both had COVID over in the United States, both unvaccinated, both had exactly the same symptoms of Peter hallier. completely fine. But no one wants to hear these stories because anyone who's vaccinated and has mild symptoms... We got to celebrate science and how fantastic it is, and it is fantastic. But treating it like a god is preposterous in its entirety. R.I.P. Uncle Phil. But the the idea that you can't um, anyone who's unvaccinated and has mild mild cases or mild what do you say mild symptoms, it's just lucky for them, you know, lucky they hit the they hit the jackpot, they hit the gold. (laughs) But it's not maybe it's just COVID. Is not not that dangerous to a lot of young people. Is it? Could it be? Am I going to get cancelled for saying that? I'm sure people want to care. Like, I just don't understand where the argument against that is. Like, we've already seen um, Israel. We've already seen here in Victoria. We've already seen gyms in Sydney being closed down because, despite the fact they were only able to be accessed by people with double vax they're still spreading this disease. Is it a disease? They're still spreading this virus. They're still spreading this around. So I know what the response to that is. Yeah, but the symptoms aren't as serious. That's not true. People who are double-vaxxed are still dying of this disease. Or is that misinformation? Am I I hearing wrong? Has one person who is double-vaxxed died of COVID? I don't know. Surely they have. I'm sure they have, haven't they? You won't tell me, like if you disagree with what I'm saying. I'll be if you disagree with what I'm saying right now. I'll be impressed that you're still listening to this because I don't know. It's hard to listen to people who you disagree with, especially when you can't answer back. Just message me to let me know where you turned it off, just so I can. Uh, I feel like you guys had your say a little bit at least. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, minor problems over here. Minor problem, especially compared to this bloke who's just been arrested in the UK. Did you? He? Did you hear about this bloke who? He just got done. He got caught. How much was it? I wrote it down. Four hundred kilograms of cocaine that he was trying to smuggle across the U, the UK border. And you know how he was trying to smuggle it in in onion rings bags. I think they're a chip <laughs> or a crisp. If you're in the UK, he's now look. Physics was never my strongest point, neither was maths, but based on net weight or gross volume, I'm going to estimate that the weight of an onion rings bag is significantly lighter if it just has onion rings in it in comparison to if it was smuggling cocaine. (laughs) this is my main issue. So what was it? It was uh, I forgot to write down how much it was worth. It was it was millions and millions of dollars worth of cocaine. Surely I don't know how much like a couple of grams of cocaine go for, or if even that's a measurement. But four hundred kilos, I feel like that's a that's a lot of cash there. Like there's a there's a lot of cash going on. Um, excuse me. So I don't know. It just got uh, yeah. I just I think if you've gone that hard to smuggle four hundred kilos of cocaine across any border, do your do your research. Like surely a chocolate, like a a chocolate assortment or a biscuit bag or maybe books. Or there's got to be there's got to be so many other options as to how you smuggle cocaine successfully across a border because. I don't know, if you saw 700 shipping containers of onion rings, you go, hang on a second, what, wait, do we really order this many onion rings in on a weekly basis? This seems like there's too many. huh?" I know 7-Eleven's popular, but I, I, there's no rapid rise. It's like the GameStop of of onion rings. There's, remember that GameStop thing where all the Reddit people, they, they magnified the price so much, and then uh, these big hedge funds kept trying to short the funds and kept going further and further and further into debt? I don't know what the comparison to Seven Eleven is, but I'm just saying that's significant business. There's a lot of money involved. Anyway, I don't know what I don't know how I would try and smuggle drugs across a border. I think I I don't have enough to do with drugs to really know all the um, all the ins and outs. I can say this now because he's dead. But but one of my one of my old friends who he, he lived a wild life, and before he passed away. He, uh, I went to his house and he had a he had a monstrous bag of marijuana. Like I'm not just talking, I'm not just talking like a, a little bit. I'm talking a like kilos and kilos of it. And uh, he said, uh, "Hey, Dicey, uh, yeah, what we're gonna do, buddy, is uh, let's go. I got a mate up in New South Wales. We're gonna smuggle this on the inside of a car tyre. Uh, you put this paste around the outside of it, and it throws off the sniffer dogs. And um, we'll do this together. We'll get paid, and we'll drive home. It'll be an adventure." I said, "What the hell? Really? Are you legit?" Are you hundred percent serious about this? And um, apparently he was. He was. I. It, it never eventuated. Like nothing ended up happening with it because I'm not sure. I think he. I think he actually did it with. Uh, with his dad. I think he did it with his dad. But um, I was quietly. I was quietly happy. I didn't get the final invite because I just. I don't know how I would be if a cop pulled us over and said, uh, "Guys, have you got drugs in your car?" I would go, mm, "No." <laughs> No, I've got no drugs, nowhere. If I had drugs in this car, where would it be? What, the spare tyre? Go and have a look in the spare tyre. Oh, I gave it away. I just, I don't know. I, I Honesty is an important thing, but as you've seen, it, it often gets you into trouble. So if honesty is the best policy, I, I think it just depends what that policy is in regards to. If it's in regards to keeping yourself out of jail or keeping yourself married, I don't think honesty is the best policy. All right, You need to manipulate that information. You need to be sneaky with the way you deliver that information because before you know it, you'll be locked behind bars um, without parole until you get $25,000 for your bail. Does that even make sense? I haven't had a lot of time in the, uh, in the court case world, so I, I really don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um, yeah, how did that happen? Oh, yeah, the cocaine. I don't know. What do you reckon would be a good way to smuggle cocaine into a country? I'm just thinking if these if these lockdowns get extended, and I can't, can't you know go back to work, I'm gonna have to find money somewhere. <laughs> I've been googling a lot of this stuff. I'm gonna have to start doing Duck Duck Go. A little bit of private searching, especially if I'm gonna be speaking so honestly, I'm gonna have to compensate for for all that information I'm giving away by using a private search thing. Um, is it Go VPN? I'm gonna have to get onto that so no one can look into my uh, into my searches. But um, it's weird. It's weird how much. It's weird how much people can see into your private life at the moment, like whether it's on the internet or, um, you know, just through the use of your phone. Or, because I don't. Do you trust? Like, if you turn off, you know, how you get the option on your iPhone. that says uh, allow allow tracking while using the app. It doesn't. Surely it can't be that hard from just to go. Eh, you know what? I'm going to track you anyway. Like I just. Not that I. Care, not that I know why they would care where Tyson Popplestone is, but just the fact that that's an option. The fact that they can actually, they can make that happen. They can find out where I'm at at whatever time they want to find out. That's interesting to me. That's a little bit sketchy to me, if I'm completely honest. So, um, yeah, you got to be a little bit proud. The reason that was on my mind today was because last night I watched that Britney Spears documentary. Um, did you... Did you, did you see that one? I'm trying to think of that word. I had this word that they were talking about. So essentially, I think it was like two days ago she was released from it, but her dad in 2007 or eight, during a time where she was going through some emotional turbulence, her, her dad signed himself up as the... Oh, I've completely blanked on the name. Uh, it's going to annoy me now. I want to say confectionery, but I know that's a sweet... Um, No, it doesn't matter. Anyway, her her dad essentially signed a document to say, hey, I'm responsible for for every decision in her life. So from money to movement uh, to travels to performances, if I don't give it the okay... It doesn't happen. And it was like a, her own little mini North Korea. He was the Kim Jong-un, and she was the population. Without his approval, she was going absolutely nowhere. And she hated it, obviously, because it sounded like this guy started to take advantage of it. The dad, I know the documentary was painted or designed in a way to make a dad look like a really bad guy. So it only showed some real dodgy footage of him. But you hear a bit about him, and you go, hang on a second. That's not right. It's very similar to Kim Jong-un, the way you're treating your daughter just here. How much did you make? He gave her an $8,000 allowance when he was on $16,000 a month. Anyway, it was it was just a wild documentary. It, it, gives you, it gives you like a sense of sympathy for her as well. I've never been a big Britney fan in terms of her music. Looks, I've always thought, hey, she's super pretty. But in terms of her music, not really my style. You know what I mean? Um, hit Me Baby one more time. I got caught one too many times playing that in primary school and... I had to, you know, I really convinced myself and my friends I didn't like her. <laughs> so it's, you know, there's a little bit of emotional residue in in my tank around Britney as well. But you should go watch the documentary. Really, really interesting, just what she had to go through. It was, it, was, it was quite, um, I don't know, it makes, I just, not that this would help you in a court, but it would make Britney surely wish she could fight. Because, like, there'd only be so many times your dad could say, hey, you know what, I'm getting paid more than you this month, despite the fact that I'm just doing your paperwork, you're doing all the performances and the travelling, and you just get him a choker hold, you know? A little choker hold. Get him him an arm lock. See if he'll sign the document to say that he releases the... I can't remember the name of it, it's really annoying me. Anyway, uh, I had a look at her Instagram last night and she was celebrating her most recent post was her doing a, it's a sort of awkward dance if I'm honest but she's been through some stuff so you've got to give a woman a chance like if she's just got out of this this uh this deal this negotiation with her dad then you got to give her it's been 13 years you've got to give her a chance to release those emotions and anyway I'm thinking about doing jujitsu because just the idea of um just the idea of self-defense it's got my attention lately I don't know what it is but I keep getting my little 18-month-old boy in a a choker hold, very lightly, very temporarily, momentarily. um, Just enough to show him who's boss. But it feels good to, I was going to say, to have that power. But that (laughs) that sounds like it's on the border of physical abuse, doesn't it? I don't think it is because he always laughs when I let him go or gasps. I'm not sure. His laughs and his gasps are very similar. But, um, yeah... I'm fascinated by it. I like, I like areas with discipline. I like to seeing, uh, you know, con- continual growth and continual development. I, I just like seeing areas of my life develop like that. So um, I'm pretty keen in the next couple of weeks to start that. I know a couple of guys I do comedy with who do it as well. It could also just be a sign I listen to way too much Joe Rogan. And I've been heavily influenced by his love for martial arts. But I've done judo temporarily. I did karate as a kid. I only got to orange belt. But, um... I mean as a nine-year-old, that was a six-month commitment. I liked I liked karate in a in you know in most in most respects. I like the discipline of it. I think it's good for discipline. That's why I want to get I want to get my little boy into martial arts because I like the idea of, first of all, like if he's in the playground, some guy gives him a hard time. It's nice for him just to back himself to know that, hey, little pussycat, cat, I could I could smash you in a fight if I had to. That's good for your confidence. But also that discipline that it instills. Um, that work for development. I like that. That leader figure at the front of the room who doesn't take your bull crap. He doesn't take your little sookie excuses. Not that I think my son's going to be like that, but I just I like that as as like an investment into his uh, development. So I think I'm going to start doing that. And also, I think so many people are coddled. Like so many kids. Uh, I'm, I'm going through a phase. I think when, when my boy was first born, I remember Jesse had him in the grass. And I said, oh, babe, maybe take him out of the grass. He'll get itchy. And she goes, what? you pussy, are you seriously gonna raise a boy who can't sit in the grass? Okay, oh, oh, that's really, this is really embarrassing. That's a great point. But it's funny, like in my head I was thinking I just don't want my kid to get itchy, but the consequences of that 15 years down the track is he needs a cuddle every time he falls off his bike, which I'd give him, uh, but you just gotta keep it in check. I think there's so much coddling. There's so much how, like, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're perfect the way you are. You don't need to change anything. Stuff that a little bit, I think. I want to be a bit harder on my boy. I'm going to be the kind of dad who, I'm not just going to build him up every single thing he does and call him king and tell him how perfect he is. I want to keep him in check. I want to keep him in line. and I want him to expose himself um, to, like, obviously, within limits. I don't want him to kill himself, you know, trying to jump off a room and land on his his feet to impress dad. He lands on a, a, you know upside down golf club or something Not that that's i don't know why that was the the option but um this is the first thing that came to my head but like the other day i was in the city at the protest actually and uh, my little mate was on the ground and this is how far off come so he was playing with some rubbish that he found on the floor and i thought you know what this is going to be great for his immune system he's uh, he's gonna he's gonna really develop through this and a little old lady ran over it's like oh excuse me and sort of slapped it out of his hand she goes oh your son was just playing with the rubbish and I was like, oh, <laughs> I wanted to. I didn't want to be rude to her because she thought she was doing me a favour. So he put down the chip packet, and uh, she walked away. As she walked away, I was like, oh mate, come on, just play with it on this side of me, so she can't see. But um, you know, he's getting all the flavouring out of the bottom of the chip packet. Good on him. He's doing. He's doing what he can. It can't be like on the surface. It can't be that healthy. But surely, like the the idea that that some bloke's fat fingers had been in that packet. And he was being exposed to some other guy's germs. His little immune system had to toughen up and, you know, fight off whatever he might be exposed to is good. I saw a documentary just before he was born as well on, on YouTube. I think it's called Babies. And uh, it was just speaking about the importance of development in kids' immune systems. And one of the important parts of development was exposing them to germs. Like, apparently, if you've got a dog in your house, the, the immune system of your kids is, is you know, super high-profile, super super-resilient. So uh, my little man, thank God, loves dogs and uh, often we'll be walking down the street and a dog will walk past and I'll, I'll sort of squat down next to him and he'll get the um, yeah, the dog will walk past it will come up and start licking his face and the owner's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, nah, let him go. You know what I mean? Uh, let him fight off these worms. <laughs> let him fight. Let his body discover what it's capable of. And they're like, whoa, you're a psycho. This kid, he's just turned one. Give him a chance to develop. I'm like, "What? you know, Anyway, I like the idea. Because in my own life, I, I love going to the gym. I love going for runs. I love doing cold water swims. I love doing things that that put me in a situation where it's uncomfortable and where it's difficult and where I, I want to get out and stop because I, I just don't like it. And I like doing that because as I'm doing that, I know that there's growth kicking in. I know that there's something in my in my psyche deep down that's like, Ooh, this is grinding away like any little residue of being a pussycat from my from my early, uh, earlier childhood. <laughs> Not that I think I was that much of a pussy, was I? I don't know. I, my friend's mum might disagree. She told me. Chopper's mum, uh, Debbie, great woman. Very tough woman. Uh, Chopper was a fantastic footballer over here. And uh, I remember me and Chop used to play on the same team when we were at school. And she laughed at me one day. She's like, I've never seen someone dodge a pack as hard as you, Ty. You're constantly going for the outside ball gets. I was like, I hey, know. I just wanted to use my running to my advantage. She's like, you're just being a little pussy. I was like, oi. That's mean. <laughs> be nice. My mum will call you. Huh? Tell you how good I am at football. Or maybe I was coddled. I'm not too sure. So anyway, there's a few little things going on. I think it's interesting as well because the, the AFL, I just told you about how they're, they're little puppets to the this corporate scene at the moment. And the AFL have just banned skinfold tests. Now, I haven't looked too far into this, but um, I, I'm not sure whether it's because um, skinfold test. It, it makes me think, here's, here's potentially what it could be. The AFLW, so women have just started playing AFL, and obviously you can't say anything about women's body weight at the moment because it's offensive. Do you know what I mean? Honesty is not the best policy when it comes to certain things. Remember that. Um, so it, 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 it's interesting to me that this removal of skin fold tests from the AFL almost coincides with the level of professional uh, participation from women in the sport Is increasing I'm not sure could that be what it is or is it just an outdated uh, measurement that doesn't really offer us any helpful advice as to our fitness is it sort of like the the BMI of fitness testing like BMI it gives you like a little bit of an overview of one element of your life but it doesn't take in like sort of muscle mass it doesn't take in You know, little things like that. The little intricacies that health and fitness are all about. So if it's that, I understand it. But if it's because we're worried about offending people based on their their body weight, isn't a skin test designed to let you know what it is that you need to improve? That's what I thought it was there for. So if that's what it's there for, and we don't want to tell people that they're overweight, that's, that's ridiculous. Tell me that I'm overweight so that I can start to lose weight. Tell me that I'm out of shape so that I can start to improve. Stop making me... This is that coddling thing that I'm talking about. We raise soft kids, all of a sudden you've got soft adults. Hmm. I don't know. It seems wise to me. I heard Dennis Prager say it the other day, and he's a wise man. I like a lot of what he has to say. So when Dennis Prager's in your corner, from the fireside chat, makes it hard to argue. He's a... Yeah... I don't know. I just I, th- I think there's a i think there's a real benefit to not coddling. I think there's a real benefit to to letting kids suffer a little bit, not in a bad way, not to where their lives on the line. Obviously, I'm not that kind of guy, unless they're being real naughty, for just enough to you know, just enough to toughen them up. That's what I'm thinking of. Is there anything else that I wanted to? I've got a little list of notes written down here. We've spoken about all of that actually. Oh, there's a fair bit that we've covered today. That's all I really wanted to go over. I've um, I've got to go get myself organized because I've got a gig on tonight. As I told you, it's a 90-minute drive to get down there. Um, my little boy will be home in a minute. I have to do this because he only he woke up from like a 30-minute nap, uh, which, is, which is never a good sign because it means the next hour and a half he cracks it. So my wife's taking him out in the car to try and go to sleep. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to get this organized. I am uh, going to start heading down to Melbourne. I hope you guys have a great week, and I'll see you all same time next week.